Whoa, it's G.I. Joeberg, episode 14, and we're going to discuss the origins of G.I. Joe's disco era, with such stunning colors as the Tiger, the Tiger Force, 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 Python, Python Patrol, Patrol, and what happens to a G.I. Joe when he loses his job, Night Force, and when G.I. Joe enters professional wrestling, Spotters Marauders. Okay, guys, let's do this. I think you forgot about uh, G.I. Joe's bling incarnation with the Sky Patrol. Oh, <laughs> and don't forget... When you want to keep it all cool, yo, and you want to be mean on the street, you got to bling it up with the Sky Patrol, and your bling, 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 something vehicle, yeah! <laughs> I'll be very, very curious to see whether that uh, makes the final cut of this episode, Paul. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, fans of G.I. Joeberg, we are back at long last. This has probably been our longest hiatus, but finally, episode 14 is in effect. Tonight, we are doing a G.I. Joeberg first. We have received a request from one of our fans, J.D. Initially, it started out as just a discussion about the Slaughter's Marauders and our take on that particular subgroup, but then we thought, why let the Sarge have all the fun? Let's expand our topic to include the myriad of, myriad <laughs> of redeco G.I. Joe subsets. We're talking about the Tiger Force. We're talking about the Night Force, the Python Patrol, the Sky Patrol, and, of course, Sergeant Slaughter's Marauders. We are, however, not talking eco-warriors, D.E.F., or... Uh, what's that other bling set they did? <laughs> Sonic Fighters? Mm. Sonic Fighters, although Sonic Fighters are still pretty decent. We because wanted to limit ourselves to Hasbro's attempts to repress old molds and not really change them in any material ways other than the color schemes. What we found is that some of them are not actually as bad as um, just being plain old repaints. Some of them have actually got some real merit as figures. And I think we're going to get into that right after we discuss some new toys that we've received. <laughs> and some not-so-new toys, but yes, what did you get in, Paul? I got quite a few. It's been a busy one my side. Um, I've just been really busy with work and stuff lately, so I haven't really had a chance to go toy shopping. But on the few hunts that I have had, um, I've gotten a little addicted to the new Transformers Prime figure line. I think it's Wave 1 and 2 are the waves that we have here. We have a mix of them. So I picked up a Wheeljack. Uh, a Vircon, RC, and Knockout. And I have to say that Hasbro's Transformers line is going strong. They've got some pretty decent designs, some great transformations, awesome styling to those figures. It's probably one of the few Transformers lines that I've, the few Transformers lines that I've bought more than four of from the, from the series. So kudos to them on that. Another cool thing is a blast from the past is I picked up uh, Thundercats Lino, as many of you may know already, there's a reimagining of the classics line for Thundercats that coincides with the new Thundercats cartoon series. The new cartoon series figures are three three quarter inch or four inch, much like the modern scale Joes, have similar articulation, are pretty awesome figures in their own right. But the classic Lino grabbed me with these new articulation, pretty amazing sculpting, and some fine paintwork on a character that I didn't have much love for as a kid growing up but was pretty trendy when I was growing up as a kid. I think a lot of people were Thundercats fans when I was a G.I. Joe fan. So, I absolutely adored that classic Lino. I think I wound up having two of them in the final analysis. <laughs> and I, after hearing that you picked up the retread of that, that figure, I dusted mine off, got it out of a box in the roof, and 
lo and behold, the light up eye feature still works. And that's something I'm, I'm sadly missing on the new version. It's a miracle that that feature still works after all these years. Mm. No, that, that it is. Uh, uh, the thing is, uh, you know, it's kind of weird for me to have a lino that can bend his arms. Because <laughs> that's a big gripe of mine when I was growing up. Uh, I, I hated the punch feature that actually stopped me from buying a lot of them. You were quite a discriminating kid. I don't think articulation really touched sides when I was like four or five years old. Mm, but the new ones have great articulation. What, up to 18 points of articulation? That's great. This lino I've got is like something like 32 points, eh? Quite impressive. Uh, you really can't lick his own ass. <laughs> Woohoo. <laughs> I like a real cat does. Yep. <laughs> no, he's not that bendable. And then I finally have a Sonic figurine that makes me very happy. He's great. He's posable. It's from the Nendoroid line by Good Smile. Did he come with those little like gold rings? The ring. He comes with a Chaos Emerald. He comes with one of those item containers that he jumps on to get the item. And it's got slots inside so you can put in the shield or an extra life or the ten rings or good smile do a, a fantastic job but they definitely are top dollar toys i mean what did you pay for sonic this one i got for quite a good price i got him for about like 480 rand i actually bought it from a local store that had imported him the online vendors that i usually use were sold out and i couldn't get a pre-order in time so i was really like chuffed but if i had bought him online i think i would have paid 320 rand Mm. And the shipping would have pushed them up to about 420, 450 with the tax and everything added. So all in all, a good score. Although I have to agree, Steve is pretty right. Um, good smile, you do play, uh, pay a pretty penny for. Much like any of the Japanese stuff, with the exception of the Revoltic line, which is still pretty affordable. And you get some real bang for your buck. But the big thing I got is my Sideshow Collectibles Crimson Guard. I'll be very honest, when I first received them, I wasn't sure if I liked it. <laughs> kind oh, of, whoops. That hurts. After, <laughs> after dropping that much dollar. Yeah, I pulled it out of the box and I was like, ah, there's something, like the leather doesn't bug me. I was actually, I'm, I've always been pro that shiny leather look that they originally showed in the prototypes. I thought it was very like, you know, Cobra-esque, sort of mirrored the figures in some way. But this new sort of matted leather that they've got on it folds nice, looks good, seems to be quite robust. But the thing that was bugging me about it was he has a very cool Desert Eagle and I was messing around with Desert Eagle and I put it in the holster and the holster is quite tight when you put the gun in. And, yeah, I broke the holster. Whoops. <laughs> oh. Yep. You We've... broke your dolly. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Other than that, yeah, I was just like, it was weird. It was like a 50-50. It didn't seem to come with enough stuff. But then, I don't know, just took him out of the box, um, fussed with the figure a bit more, set him, put him on the shelf. And then, yeah, it grew on me. And it's actually a really, really stunning toy. Once again, a really great sideshow production. I think I'm also just a bit excited for the Baroness that is coming out of pre-order next month as well. So maybe that stole the wind from its sails a bit. And had I not gotten a Falcon or Zartan before the Crimson God, I think I would have liked the Crimson God a little bit more uh, direct from the box. It just feels like lately Sideshow hasn't been throwing as, as much gear into the boxes I'm used to. But yes, that's me. That's I'm all toyed out now. That's That's all my cool slim pickings. I got the new Transformers game, uh, Hall of Cybertron, Wolf... I can never remember what it's called. <laughs> See, Guaranteed, I wouldn't be able to remember it for you, mate. It's really, really amazing. If you love the show, and you love Transformers, and you love really great action games that care about the franchise, that Transformers game is the game to go for. It's really amazing. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you remember when we were talking about a G.I. Joe game. Well, this is how you make a Transformers game really good. And on top of that, the game that I've been working on, Toxic Bunny, will be released, 
on the 5th of October. It should be available on some of the online stores as well soon enough. Uh, keep you guys updated. Oh, man, it seems like we don't have any Joe to celebrate <laughs> because my pickings are also non-Joe, but I'll run through them very quickly. I went to a wholesaler and picked up two Star Wars figures quite recently after doing a Star Wars marathon with some friends uh, a week ago. Watching the original trilogy again got me all Star Wars out. I took down my Millennium Falcon, my X-Wing, Snowspeeder, and I was zooming them all around over the weekend. So I picked up a Hoth pilot Luke Skywalker. So it's basically the orange overalls, but with the gray boots and gloves. And it's really a stunning figure. I compared him to the X-Wing pilot Luke Skywalker. I mean, they're essentially the same figure, except the X-Wing guy's got uh, black boots and black gloves, as seen in A New Hope. It's remarkable to see how, in just a few years, and with essentially the same figure, there's been a, an improvement. Uh, well, there's really no sense in, in going through it, because this is a G.I. Joe podcast, but it just looks far truer to the movie incarnation. And when you are trying to imitate film characters, that is your ultimate goal, I guess. Mm. It's not necessarily possibility or accessories you prioritize, but rather faithfulness and character likeness. And this guy looks great and moves well. He's very well articulated. I also got a droid decker, and I don't speak very beamingly of this particular action figure because it doesn't do a great deal of things right. I mean, its posability is awkward and not a great deal of fun. The legs don't move well. It can't roll itself into a ball. So it's not scoring high on the faithful to movie scale. And it's got big, ugly missiles kind of bulking up its arms. I mean, it's nice when the spring-loaded feature is removable altogether, but when it's incorporated into the action figure, that's when it becomes a problem, and that's when it really takes points away. So yeah, skip that figure. Don't get the Droidecker, everyone. Cool. I got a 1983 Destro online that had seen some better days, which is why he is going to be used in a custom project. After our uh, top five favorite old school figure list, I decided that uh, my 25th anniversary Destro needed some improvements to better mirror his original incarnation. One of them is the fact that I painted his gloves to match his onesie, for lack of a better word. So he's now got the dark grey gloves at the end of his silver gauntlets. Cool. Yes, I know. Very cool. I matched the paint colour to his uh, moulded plastic colour quite well, if I do say so myself. Mm, impressive. Very impressive. Most impressive. <laughs> Thanks, Rob. But you're not a Jedi yet. <laughs> oh, dear. Force is strong are this you. one. And the other improvement that I am hoping to make with the very able assistance of Paul and his dremeling tool mm-hmm. is lopping off the head from the vintage Destro and putting <laughs> it onto the 25th anniversary Destro. Ooh, See how that works out. It can be done. When you mentioned it, I was sort of looking around for some tutorials on how to sculpt heads and stuff with Sculpey clay, etc., etc. And I actually found a guy that has a tutorial on how to convert classic G.I. Joe heads to 25th bodies. Mm. Well, that really would make or break this figure. I mean, if we could adequately integrate this head onto the 25th anniversary body, A, it would solve the head shrinker issue that the 25th anniversary Destro head has. The fact that the head is just way too small. And B, it would add that sweet chromed head factor, which just makes a Destro figure. Mm, Just missing from the new one, yeah. Absolutely. The last new thing that I got in this hiatus was a... 
surf wagon, essentially, <laughs> by a brand called Dickie Toys. Nice. Uh, <laughs> thanks for that, Rob. It's a VW van with surfboards mounted on the roof, and it is perfectly Joe scale. I'm not entirely sure what its fate is, but it's got everything that it would ever need. It's got all the opening doors, the sliding side door, back door, the engine cover, engine bonnet opens. It's a thing of beauty, and I will actually be posting a brief article on my blog on this particular toy. So, take a look at that on a real South African hero blogspot com. It's awesome. Now we can finally play that sort of like Jojo's go to the beach holiday game we always wanted to play. <laughs> well, Paul's uh, going to be getting one and mm. he's got a different destiny for it. What was that, Paul? Uh, I'm going to turn it into a very cool um, dreadnought vehicle. Ah. Uh, a beach bad boys kind of type thing. So it's like, it's pretty messed up and it's got all their like stickers on, graffiti on. And, and I think that'll be cool because they just, they totally rock that kind of look. I don't know. It also comes with a, a decal sheet <laughs> of uh, stickers that say peace, love, they have peace symbols. <laughs> They've got like, you know, flowers. <laughs> so it is very much a surf wagon. But yeah, I'd be interested to see your custom. And that's it for me. And now on to Rob. <laughs> Yeah, like, finally, I actually have something to mention in this section, because I think it's it's sort of infamous that I never get anything, but I've been fortunate to come into possession of one of my top five vintage Joes with modern reissues, which is the Flint, sort of version one, 1985, 25th anniversary reissue, and it's awesome. It makes me so happy, because it's just such a good accurate reinterpretation of the original. It's just gorgeous. The only problem I had with him was his hands, but luckily Stephen had extra sort of hand, hands lying around. And Yes, listeners, a very cool <laughs> substitute set of hands you can most likely get your hands on <laughs> quite easily. <laughs> would be good old Sergeant Thunderblast who came with the, well, the Rise of Cobra reuse of the Armadillo. I know that he's still very much available on clearance in South Africa and uh, eBay is not asking too much for him either. Mm. So those hands work to a T and gives him nice uniformity. Instead of breaking up his colors by having these sort of grayish, brownish gloves, he's yeah. now got black gloves. Yeah, and it kind of just suits him more, I think. Even though, I mean, the original hands, his left hand was really cool, but his right hand just wasn't working. You know, he, he was obviously very much a left-handed figure, except he has the holster on the right-hand side, which, I don't know. They always seem to mess it up. the same hands that Tunnel Rat has, that yes. uh, Outback has, and... They're great for handling large weapons, but mm. anything smaller, daintier, like a pistol, forget it. Yeah, forget about it. Uh, I mean, Flint and his small weapon, you know, just need different hands. <laughs> to use your money to get a G.I. Joe instead of using it all on alcohol and women. Yeah, you know, I'm glad I finally decided, you know, Joes are really more important to me right now than alcohol and ladies. So, yeah, <laughs> I'm very happy. I have, a, I have a little man in my life now. <laughs> Those are the hands. <laughs> Replacement hands. Little black hands. <laughs> oh, my God. All right, fellas. Let's hit it. Let's jump into a discussion of these subgroups, as suggested by our dear friend JD. Now, they each have a purpose, as stated on the packaging. And I must say that the recurring motif, at least with the Tiger Force Night Force and Python Patrol is the reuse of captured, reoutfitted enemy weapons and vehicles. Well, okay, let's, let's get into the, the science of the Python Patrol. 
I mean, for starters, they use something called a Pythonization process, which sounds pretty dirty. Distilled <laughs> <laughs> from a real Python. I mean, if you take a look at the commercial, Q commercial. Now I will crush the idol's tiger force. My Python experiment will make Cobra invincible. Python patrol, Python patrol. Cobra's on the attack with Python patrol. Python patrol, attack! Python patrol's the evil new foe, but nobody beats GI Joe. Python patrol, vehicles and figures sold separately. You've got Cobra Commander administering this theme of Python-ness <laughs> to a row of Conquest X-30s, and then all of a sudden they're Pythonized to make them the slipperiest jets ever. And I suppose the same holds true of the stun and the asp that he Pythonized, and also the troops that now have undergone this Pythonization process. It was outlined better in the Marvel comics, where they went out to demonstrate that it somehow cut down on the heat signatures and radar cross-section of the craft and troops. But in that self-same issue, and it's issue 88 of the G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero Marvel run, the first field test of this Pythonization process is rather ambiguous because the radar that they're hoping to evade by using their Pythonized vehicles and equipment was actually switched off the whole time. <laughs> so we never actually find out whether or not this process worked. But hey, it's a neat concept. Yeah, well, I suppose it's some sort of commentary on Larry Harmer on the toy line repeating toys. Yeah, well, there could be that. I mean, yeah, actually, if, if he had done that intentionally, that's actually pretty smart and pretty cheeky, actually. Mm. But, um, I, I mean, I have to admit, like, it just seems like the only way Pythonization works is by, if you look at a radar, you know, it's got a little grid reference. So basically, the Python soldiers have a grid reference. So that's like the only thing I can think of is like, we have a grid reference, the radar has a grid reference, therefore we are camouflaged from it. <laughs> yeah, but, sure, Paul, that's exactly how radar works. <laughs> what? Thing. I mean, like, that, I mean, you know, it doesn't matter if... This is battleships. <laughs> and readers, or listeners, and if you read, I suppose we can call you readers too, go and have a look at these dudes if you don't know what the Python Patrol looks like. I mean, these guys preceded ravers. I mean, with their red goggles <laughs> and their dead girl outfits and their red face plates. I mean, these guys are happening in 1962. <laughs> they just need glow sticks. <laughs> They're awesome. The cross-hatching detail was their thing, and... Gratefully enough, it was worked in as kind of a tech aspect to their uniform, that this was somehow used to defeat early warning systems. The Tiger Force, on the other hand, what was the deal there? I mean, they just figured it was a cool, striking uh, look. I mean, it was quite plainly just an attention grabber to sell attractive-looking toys. Because I'm trying to suspend my disbelief and argue the practicalities of a Tiger-striped vehicle, and I... I can't. I'm yeah. sorry. There are certain things that are beyond me. This is a way to influence your enemy. Like, yeah, we're the tiger force. You know, we have the power of the tiger within us. We're sort of more ferocious than your average enemy. You know, we're coming for you. I suppose it's to make them look as ostentatious as possible. But then there are write-ups about the tiger force being a kind of a jungle commando unit. And that's going to fly in the face of the fact that their vehicles are bright yellow. Mm. I must say, though, that some of the Tiger Force redecoed figures are successful 
in looking more jungle and more well blended to their environment than their originals. And yeah. this is an element of praise that I have for the Tiger Force specifically for giving us a green Dusty and for giving us a mustard and green Lifeline. Oh, Lifeline. He's a great looking figure. Absolutely. I mean, you can't very well have a field medic running around in <laughs> bright red and white. Yeah, shoot me. I'm not going to be able to help anyone now. Absolutely. So the Tiger Force Lifeline, great success. Slightly less stellar success is Roadblock now running around with a bright yellow tiger striped helmet. So there were, you know, excesses <laughs> to the, the deco that we could have gladly done without. But mm. I suppose you could have mixed and matched your parts and given him his original helmets and then had a, a cool new Roadblock. Mm. I think the origins of DEF come from Tiger Force because what happened is a bunch of G.I. Joes were probably in some kind of firefight and things got a little bit rough and, and then started injecting themselves with tiger blood. <laughs> mm, like Charlie Sheen I think Duke might have been instrumental for that because you know he was the guy kind of really pushing this we're going to take these Cobra vehicles and spray them with tiger colors <laughs> cue commercial <laughs> Duke is back we'll stop Cobra with Tiger Force the roughest toughest jump force ever get those captured Cobra vehicles repainted and rearmed they're part of Tiger Force now Tiger Force showing the colors yellow and black with their deco, I mean, yeah, okay, it works for tigers. I mean, face it, a real tiger <laughs> is yellow and black, okay? It's a, and it's a ferocious, like, predator. It's pretty badass, so... I mean, I suppose it adds some kind of weird legitimacy to it, but I have to agree. Some of the Tiger Force colors, and I mean, jokes aside and everything, and being quite serious now, some of the Tiger Force camo mm. patterns are really great. They stand out for not standing out, and mm. that's pretty impressive. You know, aside from the fact that my favorite Tiger Force figure is probably the, the biggest fish out of water, but still, you know. Yeah, you are uh, being coy on us, brother. I'm being coy. Uh, it's Blizzard. I mean, hmm. I mean okay. the snow trooper. Yes, there's a trend. I like snow figures. <laughs> I think it's really cool, and in some ways, it's a lot cooler. Blizzard being in the Tiger Force with the whole dune boarding kind of aspect to his. To, to the, Not even dune boarding. It's like he's dune skiing. That guy's gonna face plant, man. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. It blew my my mind as a kid, I, and I think it, it tickled my imagination in quite a lot of ways. I was like, "Wow, that's so cool!" and he looks so cool, and I really want that figure. The Whereas, other... in actual fact, he does not look cool at all. He looks like he's going to uh, overheat, man. I mean, he's dressed in his Arctic duds, just like Frostbite. And this is the problem that I have with these re redecos: is when you know the the, the figure's base. Is clearly a fish out of water. Completely inappropriately it. chosen, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, they did some substitution of Ricondo instead of Wild Bill to fly the Tiger Fly. Why not give us a different vehicle driver at the wheel of the Snowcats or Tiger Cat? Mm. Because Frostbites, just like Blizzard, these are not jungle operatives by any stretch of the imagination. Not at all. No matter how much retconning you do, you're never going to be able to convince me that Frostbite looks like he belongs in a jungle. With a much older eye, you know, you look at Blizzard and you're like, the poor guy is going to die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, aside, yeah, I mean, he's like the biggest douche in the desert. <laughs> Everybody's looking at him going, what the hell? It's a snappy figure, and yeah, the, the yellow really does make him pop. 
sadly, our American listeners would never have seen the Tiger Force Blizzard on their own pegs because he was a European exclusive. Hmm. And by extension, South African exclusive too. Nice. Hey. I like, I like though, like with the vehicles, when they did redeco them, they often chose more of the, not planar vehicles, but the kind of vehicles that are more real. Like they didn't redeco like a Mambo and give it to the Joes. You know, it's, it was kind of like the more generalized vehicles. That was actually pretty smart. Um, like the snow cats being the tiger, it's the tiger cat. Well, guys, look, they tended to redeco vehicles that had stopped being produced. Mm-hmm. When the Tiger Force was released in '88, the Mumbo was still very much being produced. It was from the year prior. Yeah, but what I'm, I'm just trying to say is, it wasn't the more far out vehicles. You know, it was kind of vehicles that were, that could ostensibly be used by both. You know, it was like, that's a plane, you know, like the... The Rattler. <laughs> the Rattler, you know. It, it, that is a vehicle that is purposed by the, you know, the U.S. government. One of the really awesome hits, and this was only made clear after playing that dismal G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra video game, <laughs> the Tiger Cat. Yeah. I mean, they were just getting mileage out of the fact that they'd already designed a snowcat for use in the Arctic levels. Mm. But the Tiger Cat was used as a playable vehicle in Rise of Cobra, and that made me think, well, you know what? The half-track makes sense in a desert environment. It's it's a cool desert vehicle. And what they did was they kind of dulled it from looking a bright yellow with black stripes, and they kind of made it a, a mustardy, dusty beige with, obviously, the striping to give it that signature Tiger Force look, but without being day-glow yellow. And what they did, which I think was quite clever, and I wish the toy had mirrored this, was they removed the ski-pedos in favor of a kind of a, I suppose, machine gun setup. I think it had, like, dual guns and, obviously, the rotating missile launcher. Mm. And I thought to myself, well, this is clever. Someone's actually thought it makes zero sense to have ski-pedos mounted on a desert vehicle, unless they're sandboards. So let's fly that in favor of a gun. Maybe it was like a rocket gun. I don't know. My recollection of that game is sketchy at best, but I'm just saying that I really enjoyed playing the Tiger Cat. Um, onto, just back onto the Python Patrol quick, and, and it's one thing could be on the vehicles. I really love the Python Patrol Conquest. I really Something about that cross-hatching that really makes it pop. And the maroon, yeah, the the sort of burgundy maroon-ish kind of color it's going for. I far prefer it to the Grey Conquest, and I don't know what it is, but I, every time I see it, it just makes more sense to me as a Cobra vehicle than it does as a Jojet. You know, but, I've had that sneaking suspicion myself all along. Maybe that's yeah. what they intended originally. I think it's because the base of it. I mean, a lot of people say it's the X-29, I think it is, the designation, uh, that experimental swept-forward wing jet. Um, yeah. But I think it looks a great deal more like the Soviet Burkut. Yeah, the SU, I think it's 47 or something. Yeah, I was thinking the same. I mean, that was a swept forward wing design, and it had those canard wings. The Conquest design falls somewhere between these two references, I mm. think. But it's it's really beautiful looking at the pictures of it. I mean, it's like a gigantic like snakeskin bag or something, or shoes. Thing. I really do dig it. Like, there's something cool about it. And mm. also, the, the Pythonized Cobra Viper, mm. all of the Python Patrol, he's the one that looks more fitting. He looks the most fitting of that kind of camouflage, and it just looks right. He's gray, he's got the yellow accents and the red face mask and everything. It's cool. It just works better than the other guys. They wanted to spread the color palettes of the figures to make each of them pop because they were all single-carded figures trying to be sold on their own merits. Even old Copperhead was now a single-carded figure who needed his own file card and, and accessories to go with the card. Mm. But I, I would have preferred a more uniform look 
uh, in terms of the figure colors. Because if you look at the vehicles, they all have a similar color scheme. Mm. And it looks like it could actually be the sort of black ball paint that uh, helps them evade detection. The figures, however, total flip side of the story. I mean, they're just all over the place. You've got yellows and greens and greys and, and missing paint apps. I mean, this is my hugest criticism of the subgroups, is that they gloss over so many details. The, oh, the original Yeah, had. the molds, yeah. Mm. It actually, yeah, it deadens the, the detail down. It, it just... It, Look at it, the Crimson God's face, for instance. It's just yeah, grey. So it's, it's horrible. Yeah. I mean, how can you be a Crimson God? When your scheme is like puke yellow and grey. <laughs> also, just um, that's that's an interesting pick out of the whole bunch there because the Crimson God's most probably the least likeliest to get a Pythonized camouflage mm. because that's not their role. Yeah, but it's cool it's, though. I mean, he's one of the only ones who got sort of like a 25th anniversary reissue though as well. Yeah, true. What I also find interesting is that the Python Patrol is the only Cobra like subgroup. Like, otherwise, it's all Joes. I wonder why they, they chose to do, sort of do less Cobra repaints. Uh, that's probably because they've got, you know, Vipers, they've got Crimson Guards, they've got the normal Troopers, they've got... Mm. An, they've, every one of their Troopers is actually a subset unto themselves. Targets, Annihilators, Grenadiers, yeah. all of that stuff are subsets unto themselves, In the, in, if you want to look at it that way. Um, I think maybe Hasbro did the Python Patrol and realized that Maybe they're being a little bit redundant because they've already got so much mileage out of these other characters that they can that they can really expand into. You know, for all we know, Python Patrol was quite unsuccessful. I'm I'm not sure how popular it actually was when it came out as as a figure line because okay, mind you, I never saw any of them on the shelves as a kid because I don't know if they even made it here to South Africa. But um, all the other guys from the same year were. They were all over the place. You know, so. As, as, it would be interesting to know how well they sold. And, uh, you know, because there's a lot of G.I. Joe subgroups, and obviously kids love that. They like that right up. Um, so does Marauders and Python Patrol in the cartoon for a little bit as well. All right, we've kind of killed the Tiger Force and the Python Patrol. How about the Night Force, fellas? The thing is, Night Force has a lot of good going for it. Well, it was a Toys R Us exclusive, which kind of puts it on a, a level of exclusivity that the other subgroups do not have. So it's more sought after, more desirable, and because of its darker color schemes, makes more sense. So it's now, I mean, to collectors, it's the, the sort of the primary subgroup to to collect. It's yeah. It's kind of a centerpiece. I think they just realized, you know, I mean, that's why Snake Eyes was so popular originally. He was the guy in black. So just let's just repaint all our figures in dark colors, and they'll sell really well. And obviously they proved themselves right. Well done, uh, Toys R Us. As a kid, mm. seeing a shockwave in those colors and seeing a tunnel rat in those colors, I would have been pretty excited. I would have been like, yeah, I want those guys. I once took it upon myself to endeavor to get the entire vintage Night Force series of figures. And I didn't. And I'll tell you why. Oh. To put things in context, I didn't have either the original release or the Night Force releases of these characters. After careful consideration, I decided that very few of them topped their originals. Yeah. For instance, the original Tunnel Rats. He had a dark-ish colored shirt, green shirt, and black pants, which is a, just as suitable a Night Force version as having gray pants and I think it was a black shirt. Yeah. Similarly, Falcon, uh, 
okay, he's got those sort of greys and greens and, and light greys going on, but his original had far more paint detail. Yeah, so much more colour. I think we proved that last time. He had Absolutely. Like 25 different paint, paint apps apps. on him. Yeah. Uh, so in many cases, it was a case of the originals not being surpassed by the remakes, even in a night setting. So these were still Night Force operatives, but I preferred their original outfits. This didn't, of course, hold true of characters like Shockwave, Lowlight, and Charbroil. I mean, these guys who were really assisted by their Night Force stylings. And I suppose Spearhead in the same vein, because, you know, he, he would operate well in night conditions in a desert, but in other settings, perhaps not as successfully. So his Night Force variation was a valid one. Uh, especially characters like Lightfoot as well. Yeah, man. That yellow outfit makes your eyes bleed. But then you see that burgundy Night Force styling, and all of a sudden it makes sense. Yeah. Clearly one of the most underrated figures out there, I must say. I think a lot of these figures, the sort of rarity has escalated as we've gotten older as collectors because the fact that they're rare and the fact that they were exclusive makes them even more desirable. But I think the thing that really stands out with the Night Force is the vehicles. You know, they, they're quite hot-ticket items. I mean, the Night Boomer, the Sky Striker in black. Absolutely. That's, extremely desirable vehicle. Also, the the Whale. I don't think it looks bad at all. I think it's, it's the pretty... The Night Striker. Uh, so, like, these, you know, the, the thing is... Looked really great with their vehicles, and they stood out. And you know, they have no backstory. There's no Night Force in the comic books or any of that stuff. So they're kind of almost like a rogues gallery as well. They they stand out. Mm. I, I'll say this much though: that does point to the possibility that, like, <laughs> the other Joes are afraid of the dark. I mean, why are these guys especially Night Force? I mean, does the rest of the team not operate as well at night? I, I don't quite understand. <laughs> and, and why is there no low light on this team? Exactly. Well, because he got tapped to be the night spotter on Slaughter's Marauders team. Ah, yes, Slaughter's Marauders with their special bright blue camouflage, which helps them blend into jungles. Isn't that what it says on their packaging or something? <sighs> I think the Slaughter's Marauders subset are billed as heavy armor specialists. They operate three distinctly different tanks uh, from the line. Mm, so they're sort of like the first strike force. You know, you drop them in, they lead the charge. Yeah. The main thrust of the Slaughter's Marauders were definitely the vehicles. And that's why they're all tanks, as I say. Yeah, they and customized tanks as well, aren't they? I mm. mean, that's interesting, a difference from many of the other vehicles that have been used in subgroups. Of course. It's a very commendable aspect. And the Equalizer being the most commendable of all. I mean, it takes the Mauler MBT. Damn. And adopts a different set of armament with missiles and, I suppose, anti-aircraft guns or yeah. repeating cannons. It's a terrific vehicle. And I know you're going to love this, Paul. You know, it adds an extra crew uh, compartment. So now you've got a crew of three as opposed to a crew of two. It, it makes a difference. <laughs> My problem with um, the Slaughter's Marauders line, the first time I ever actually saw them was in the Benamo guide. And... Um, like, the first thing I thought when I saw them was, like, are these, like, the Jurassic Park Joes? <laughs> I didn't even see the Slaughter's Marauders um, subset sort of su- headline, subtitle, whatever. Uh, they just looked like the Holiday Club G.I. Joes. I mean, with the, like, funny, gimpy little colors. And I'm, I'm not a big fan of the original Slaughter's Marauders colors at all. 
I can't say I dig them. I like the roster though. I think they're cool characters. Um, yeah, cool characters, but so arbitrary. And this is another major criticism for uh, many the of subsets, the subgroups. Yeah, but primarily Slaughter's Marauders. Okay, if these guys are armor specialists, why have they got a dog handler, a fireman, an infantryman, a and sniper? an Indian? <laughs> and an Indian. I mean, the character choices aren't really choices at all. It's right. just retreading of old figures. Whereas they could have done something very interesting and retreaded vehicle drivers suddenly on a card back. Yes. I mean, by that stage in the line, you had sufficient numbers of, of drivers who yeah. had never seen reuse. I mean, I'm thinking of guys like Thunder and... You know, anyone who'd driven a vehicle up until that point. Covergirl. Kind of, yeah, I mean, there's, there's Cover a few... Covergirl, absolutely. Covergirl could have seen some reuse to... Steamroller. I mean, imagine Steamroller was, you know, paired up with the Equalizer. Oh, he'd look at him blue. Yeah, yep. man. And his, like, 20-pack. <laughs> that guy's ripped. <laughs> and then fast-forwarding to the present... With the sort of Slaughter's Marauders uh, box set that they recently did, which I purchased, because there were a few things in there that I liked. Um, most notably, it was actually more of the actual... The Renegades. Yeah, it was a combination of both of them, those two teams. I bought it for Mercer. I really like Mercer. He was a cool character. I kind of like the Falcon in the line. Um, I must admit, I wasn't the biggest fan of the toy when I saw it in the catalog and stuff, but when I had it in hand, I'm... I'm, I have to say, I'm quite chuffed with him. I like the, the gear that they gave him. And his face sculpt is very good, actually. He's, he's a cool character. I can't fault him too much. Except for the color scheme not being my favorite. I just, the blue keeps throwing me off. It's this really cool olive green or some brown and some grays, but then they throw in this blue. And it, on characters like Lowlight, it's, well, let's put it this way. Lowlight is such a good figure that he makes the blue, brown, and gray look cool. Yeah, it still works. Things like making him look cool. And I think it's a great excuse to just re-release him, to have a version of him that I can play with more than the other one, because I'm so scared of wrecking my original Lowlight. Paul, are you scared of wrecking your original Lowlight? Yeah. Oh, dear, man. You really tiptoe through the daisies. These are plastic toys, right? Mm-hmm. Well, but it's, but They're pretty it's, durable. They, you know, they withstand children. Yeah, they withstand children. That's, that's fine. But I'm a big child now, so I might make big mistakes. <laughs> big boy now. <laughs> But just, I mean, jokes and stuff aside, I like that box set for the additional figures, for the Taurus, for Mercer, and I keep wanting to call him Big Lob, but what's his <laughs> name with the, the football? He's a cool toy. They actually did them really, really, really well. Red Dog. But I think Red they renamed dog. him. Didn't they rename him Bull or something? No, no, that's Taurus. Oh, yeah. The, the modern sort of take on them is cool, and I'm happy that they used it as an excuse to give us some new toys. Mm-hmm. Characters, which is very cool. Whereas in the original line, I'm not really sure what they're trying to do with Slaughter's Marauders. If they were just trying to repaint them so that kids will go, oh wow, now I really have to have the different versions of those characters because, you know, they're bulletproof or something. It's just one of those. I, I do urge you to take a look at this Falcon when you get back up here, Steve. And, oh, and I've ch- seen him. I've seen him plenty. Ah, you've seen him, hey? Uh, well, you don't like him because he doesn't have 50 paint apps. Yeah, he doesn't have uh, very good web gear either. They're just, it's neither here nor there, guys. I mean, it's not oh. something I'm ever going to rush out to get. You shouldn't because judge while, until while you see a figure Falcon for real. He's a vital character in my mind. Mm-hmm. He's just never been done decent justice in the 25th anniversary. So, unfortunately, as a character, I have to write him off and I have to place real stock in Rob's new flint. Yeah, as it's a my brilliant Falcon figure. Stand in. Yes. Yeah, and no, I can't blame you there. I wouldn't repaint this Falcon. But if I got my hands on another one, I'd definitely do a repaint on him and try to maybe boost it up a bit. 
because the base of this figure is very good. Yeah, and I've seen pictures of it. I think it's very appropriate. It'll be yeah, it's up for repainting. I think the only downfall for me is I hate that new GI Joe logo they keep putting on the new figures. That sort of I don't even know what it is like a star flying into a hexagon. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah awful. I kind of scratch that off. You scratch it off, you So you just like etch it away. Your pin. Yeah, nice. Ruin your figures. <laughs> they come off pretty spot free. Yeah. Guys, I think we're omitting possibly the coolest subgroup of all. Really? Who who could that be? The Sky Patrol. Sky Patrol. Oh, they just the business. Cue the advert. <laughs> I don't know if I've uncovered one. <laughs> but guys, the Sky Patrol does right what so many of these subgroups do horribly wrong. In what way? The decos are not offensive. The equipment is all new. Mm. They come with a gimmick in the form of the parachutes. And get this, they are all unique characters. Yes. There is not a single retread character in the whole Sky Patrol. Mm. So these guys are each their own Joe. And we love new characters, especially one that is that has such a focused speciality. Because, let's face it, the Tiger Force... Use re-outfitted Cobra vehicles and equipment to carry out daring raids behind enemy lines. What does that even mean? Isn't that what G.I. Joe do anyway? Yes. The Night Force, yeah, they operate at night, but, I mean, what? Can't any soldier do that? Absolutely. And being Mm. a covert operations force, all G.I. Joe operations, or at least the bulk of them, should be being carried out at night. Python Patrol, yeah, okay, they've got that paint gimmick going for them. But Sky Patrol... Really yeah. nicely brings it all together. Even the vehicles have a super spiffy little gimmick. Shiny. Absolutely. And it uses retreaded vehicles in a way that makes sense to me. Very intelligently, yeah. They all have aerial attributes. I mean, of course, the Sky Raven. Which, That's a plane. Which is a plane. And a plane stolen, quite obviously, from Cobra. Very much so. It's, it's a retread of the, the Night Viper. Night Raven. Yes. And they decided, hell, let's gift it to the Sky Patrol. We've done all the testing we can out of the sucker. Let's send it to frontline use and give it to these badass paratroopers. They've got a Sky Hawk, which is a one-man vertical takeoff and landing craft. They've got the Sky Shark, which gives them now an underwater capability and aerial capability. They've got the Sky Havoc, which is a ground support vehicle, but also has both anti-aircraft capabilities and a one-man Hovercraft. Hmm. So it's almost like a SEAL team, you know, sea, air, land, etc. They're very much sort of like the perfect Joe team. Absolutely. Uh, and such got- a stunning reuse of figures. you want to talk about that, Paul? Yeah, well, I want to get into a few things with um, Sky Patrol that I really love. Before I get into the figures themselves, they all come with really cool weapons. The Skydive, for example, he comes with the rifle that also has a sling, which is actually pretty cool. It stood out. Very few G.I. Joe Weapons come with slings. All of them come with helmets, okay, because they're paratroopers. Yeah, they all have really cool guns. They all have a unique weapon, and it's great. It just showed a lot of ingenuity in the line. Um, they have a uniformity without all looking the same. Yeah, um, because they all make use of very cool figure sculpts that mm. were very sort of technical in a way. Kind of a hodgepodge of both vehicle drivers, Vipers, and both. Yeah. I mean, you've got Strata Viper mixed in there. You've got Backstop. Motor Viper, Gyro Viper, Strata Viper. I've had two of these toys. I have to say that there was something special about them in that they almost felt a little bit 
and it's weird, but at the time they ca- I got them around when the Battle Corps had st- uh, started coming out, uh, which was our main sort of GI Joe line here in the nineties. And um, yeah, they sort of had a bit of a, a quality to them that was almost better than some of the other Joes that came out at the same time. The paint was more sort of finished. They didn't have so many like oversprays. I mean, they used silvers and things like that, but the silvers weren't garish. They actually felt futuristic, if if I can put it that way. I was about to use the same word, man. Hmm. Yeah, they had a really cool modern edge, and I loved that. And the parachute, I, I had that parachute for a long time after the G.I. Joe sort of died in this country. I, I used to have it stuck on my roof. I used to dig it. I loved that parachute. It was really great quality. Also, the foil parachute was really cool, made it feel so space age as well. Once again, the parachute case was very cool. It's very cool to have a functional backpack. It was often used by me as something other than a parachute backpack. You store weapons or helmets and things in there. So these ended up being quite a lot of fun for me as a kid. And I'm surprised that these guys aren't more rare than, say, the Night Force are, just because of how cool these toys were. I think because they were more readily available at mass retail. But that's a good point. I mean, the Sky Patrol essentially did have opening backpacks that you could use to store things other than the parachutes, mm. which was leagues ahead of where the rest of the Joes were at the time. So they made for pretty cool infantrymen as well. Those backpacks, sure, they look oversized, but then again, look at uh, any kind of special forces unit operating deep behind enemy lines, and they need enormous packs of, of equipment. I really appreciate the Sky Patrol for, for giving me my first... Incarnation of the Night Raven mold. I got the Sky Raven before I got the Night Raven, and I absolutely adored that aircraft. It was leagues ahead of any other vehicle that I'd gotten prior to that. It just was in a class of its own. And the silver made it pop in ways that put it on a pedestal that no other G.I. Joe vehicle at the time could touch. These really were special, special toys. I think the only con I can I can say about the, the Sky Patrol is that I wish they came with more stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like the Sky Patrol is our favorite subgroup. Because they're so purpose-built. They're so focused. They yeah. have got a definable objective and one that they are clearly the best operatives for. Yeah, and it's something that actually it seems to add to the main Joe force. I mean, yeah, I mean, most people can jump out of an airplane, but these guys, they're focused on that, you know? They, well, the thing really that they are missing, and this would have, of course, defeated them being a reuse subgroup, mm-hmm. but if they had some sort of passenger vehicle... Yeah, like, so transport vehicle, something, something that they could get jump, them around. Something they could jump out of. With the vehicles they come with, they don't have to use those parachutes. Yeah, essentially. Mm. I suppose you could stick two of them underneath the Sky Shark. They'll <laughs> <laughs> just have to hold on to the shoots with their arms. Real tight. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to get into just some of the sub-teams that we haven't really mentioned much of and just and why we haven't mentioned them. There's still this horrible sort of thing called Battle Force 2000. Well, disqualification on this topic, I'd say, simply because they are original figures. Oh, yes. And vehicles. Yeah. But, okay, now that we're on the subject, would they oust the Sky Patrol as your favorite subgroup? No, they wouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) Precisely. Nice. I know that this is like such a childish criticism to make, they're stupid, but they they really are. I don't, I I think the the whole gimmick of their vehicle coming together is uh, maybe Hasbro, I don't know, trying to cash in on Voltron's success at the time, possibly, I don't know. Or not coming together is the case. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's true. But um, 
I don't know. They just they weren't very creative. I I always found that I actually feel in a way that the Battle Force figures feel like they're prototypes for a different uh, toy line that were sort of decided at the last minute to be GI Joes, as if they were made for some kind of different cartoon. And then all of a sudden, like Hasbro were like, no, that's not going to fly. GI Joes doing too well or something. That's always how Battle Force has felt for me. The vehicles and everything just seem very out of place. Yeah. It's the time period. I get that they're trying to be futuristic and there's a whole thing, but. Yeah, they just they they sort of fell out of my favor. It's weird to have, you know, mixed into a team that's always been a little bit ahead of the game. What was the term you used to use? Twenty days into the future as GI Joe. I mean, in '82 they were using laser weapons and and the likes. To have a dedicated team of futuristic weapon specialists, it was like, well, what have we been doing all along up until this point? Experimenting with lasers and experimental aircraft and ground vehicles and submarines that can fly. It's like, it's redundancy, Mm. pure and simple. The Battle Force 2000 were redundant. And the fact that the vehicles' designs themselves, they all seem to fit one scale. They were all perhaps priced at the same point, and there was no variation. So you had a jet mixed in with a tank, and there was no scaling of, like coolness. There wasn't like one small piece of equipment and then one like massive Battle Force 2000 aircraft or helicopter or something. Like <laughs> It was all like this man's machine. Yeah, exactly. If you get what I mean. And the fact yeah. that the drivers were not packaged with their vehicles is pretty cheeky. It's yeah. a way of bolstering 1987's figure complement with this weird sub-team of essentially vehicle specialists. Mm. I agree. That's why I just had to make a mention of it because it just such a sore thumb for me in the line. I want to mention a sore thumb for me in the line. <laughs> now, the original action figures that filtered into these subgroups, I believe that their file cards were written by Larry Harmer. Mm. Now, when these file cards were adapted to reflect their membership of the Tiger Force or the Night Force or whatever subgroup they found their way into, they were adapted slightly. Okay, and I firmly believe that those adaptations were not done by Larry Harmer. In order to illustrate my point, I enter into evidence a file card which was a completely original bit of writing. And a new section of our show, reading file cards. (laughs) (laughs) Now, this this just illustrates my point that the Tiger Force file cards, or at least the new material in the Tiger Force file cards, Mm -hmm. were definitely written by someone who perhaps liked his exclamation point a little bit too much. This is Sky Striker's file card. I'm talking about Sky Striker, the character, the guy who flies the tiger rat. <laughs> Upon graduation from the United States Air Force Academy, he went on to officer's flight training school to become a pilot. After he received his wings, Sky Striker flew X-30 fighters during several G.I. Joe attacks on Cobra Island! Exclamation point. He shot down over 50 Cobra Mamba copters, severely crippling Cobra's island defenses. Exclamation point. Sky Striker was tapped for duty on Tiger Force because of his fearless attitude in the face of danger. Exclamation point. The man was born to fly! Exclamation point. I saw Sky Striker pull off a double-looped nosedive in front of two enemy fighters, then shoot them down before they could pick him up on their radar scopes. Exclamation point. It was unbelievable! Exclamation point. When it comes to combat acrobatics, this flyboy takes the cake. Exclamation point. Now that is an entire two paragraphs 
with every sentence ending in an exclamation point. And Sounds he, like you went uh, to the sort of Stanley comic book school of writing. <sighs> it's just too enthusiastic. And Harmer's been quoted saying this on every occasion he gets the opportunity, that he liked to work in a character's foils. So much of what makes a riveting and realistic file card is, is including your faults, mm. as well as your strengths. Now, guys, what the hell is a double-looped nosedive <laughs> in front of two enemy fighters and then shoot them down before they could pick them up on their radar scopes? <laughs> I mean, someone's doing an idiotic maneuver like a double-looped nosedive. You don't need to have him on your radar. You seeing this, this fool like performing acrobatics when he should actually be uh, concentrating on keeping someone off his six. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, no, you, I have to agree. I mean, <laughs> it's laughable. <laughs> it's not crazy. A fun fact, though, just to pick things up a little, is um, in martial arts, uh, most notably Kung Fu, Tiger um, is actually the harder form. So you get your normal, your, your martial arts, your hard form, which is what you would learn normally, uh, your Wing Chun and all that. And then you get your animal styles. I'm just going to call them animal styles. It's just easier for people to get in on. They're really hard. They're all about breaking you and, and strengthening you mentally. And the first one that you do is tiger. In the school that I go to, we have a tiger class. And the tiger class is it is three to five times harder than what we normally do. And it's quite physically um, challenging. <laughs> so if anything, Tiger Force, hopefully they have a similar kind of thing where they they feel that tigers are the stronger, they're, they're the princes of the jungle. So maybe that's why they call themselves Tiger Force. Or maybe yeah. they have the ultimate ninja commando, Roadblock, teaching them <laughs> tiger style. I mean, he got tapped for duty on Tiger Force. It's quite possible. It's possible that he's harder than the normal Joe. <laughs> oh, man. On that score, I enter into evidence the uh, Tiger Force Outback. <laughs> he loves his Tiger Force membership so much, he had a giant tiger emblem imprinted on his vest. <laughs> and he seems to have aged, hey? My goodness. <laughs> the European exclusive. Uh, the European exclusive Outback has white, white hair. And I think this is quite a laudable aspect. Sure, when he was initially released, he had that shock of red hair and he kind of looked like, I don't know, more uh, jungle savvy snow job. Chuck Norris. Yeah, but with white hair, all of a sudden he takes on this very, very experienced veteran character. Like, this guy was probably traipsing through the jungles of Burma during the Second World War. I mean, mm. no one knows more about jungle survival than the white-haired outback. It's interesting, though. Like, why did they change his hair? Because surely, I mean, like, red hair is kind of appropriate for the Tiger Force. Like, did they feel it clashed with the rest of the colouring? I, I don't get it. Oh, yeah. You can't wear orange and red. I know, exactly. That's <laughs> kind of... But I just think, I mean, this guy really screams veteran and looks like he'd give the the youngsters on the Joe team a hard time, I'd say, you know, it, it adds something very cool to his character, and I would very much enjoy having a white-haired outback. Because mm. he looks grisly, man. I mean, he's clearly the most unshaven Joe, far and away. I mean, from his long mop of hair on his head to that <laughs> fantastic beard. And he just looks mean. Mm. Even on the, you know, the vintage O-ring figure-sculpt face, he's just got like a scowl that, you know, tells you that he's seen it all. This guy's crawled through the jungles of the world his entire life hmm. and lived to tell a tale. So he's got something of value to give to the team. Big time. Everyone could learn something from Outback. No, he's totally he's snake. 
<laughs> he's he's been there, done that. Exactly, he's old Snake. Mm-hmm. So, would you say that's your favorite reissued figure and part of the subgroups? Ah, have we reached that stage, fellas, where we discuss our favorite items? Well, then I'm going to break the ice and say, while I'm crazy about the big ticket items that saw reissue, particularly the Night Force, uh, with the Night Boomer and Night Striker, and uh, the Sky Raven is way up there. Tiger Paw. <laughs> Tiger Paw. Well, the Tiger Paw, incidentally, wow. was my very first G.I. Joe vehicle. Aww. So there's some resonance there, but essentially it's a ferret, and it's cool. Go on once that. It, it's it's a terrific four wheeler. I mean, the, the rubber tires and the fact that the steering is linked to the handlebars. Yeah, sexy for its time. Absolutely, and surpasses a lot of other vehicles that that came out later. Mm. So it was Very a goodie to have first up. But I traded that for a Condor from the Mask line, that neon green bike that transforms into a helicopter. helicopter. Excellent. Yeah, excellent. It's a figure that steals the show for me. Steals your heart. Yep. Yes. My favorite figure from the subgroups. It's not going to be surprising because I think it's also the most valuable, but Night Force Shockwave. Don't laugh at me, Rob. No, I'm not laughing. Night Force Shockwave. Shockwave, hands down, is one of my favorite vintage figure sculpts mm. and was somewhat limited by his blue coloring. But with the Night Force Shockwave, you've got that awesome outfit. Yeah, they corrected it. It's lovely. He's like... It's perfect. Yeah. He's in a grey all-in-one with dark green body armor, well, a black balaclava. Yeah, for black people gloves. who might not know what he looks like, he's basically sort of a G.I. Joe firefly but with a cap on. I don't know. I think he looks like a he looks more like a SWAT team guy. Well, yeah, I know he looks much more like a SWAT team guy now instead of like wearing that very bright blue. <laughs> he is awesome. I I'm, I have to agree. Anyone who choice. doesn't own a Night Force Shockwave will only truly understand this figure's appeal when he's in hand. Mm. I mean, while pictures do show him to be a rather sexy redeco, the beauty of this figure is so much in the sculpt. And the sculpt pops, even though on both versions, his original and his Night Force version, a lot of it remains unpainted. Mm. But he is just a terrific figure with a nice heft. I mean, he's got body armor that very much looks like body armor. Yeah, he's nice and heavy and weighty in hand. Dual-wielded pistols. He's got magazines. He's got terrific accessories. The submachine gun with the very frail stock might look a bit oversized, but in hand, yeah, it works nicely. The knife, the pistol. Okay, part of the problem with vintage figures is that they're accessories oftentimes do seem oversized and that's very much the case with Shockwave but uh, hey if you really want to play with this guy you can always swap it out for some Marauder Inc. stuff mm. yeah I mean it's my favorite figure and the finest redeco of him thank you eBay thank you internet for bringing this guy to my attention otherwise I would have never known him and I would have happily just continued using my blue Shockwave in every possible scenario mm. Shockwave on eBay you're looking to drop about anywhere between 100 and $150 for a loose, complete Nightfall Shockwave. Wow, that's a lot of money. Yeah. Oh, toy. <laughs> Fortunately, when I bought mine, it only cost about 50 bucks, and that was five years ago. So this figure has almost trebled in value 
in the course of five years. Hmm. They did a, a repaint in the 25th line. It's close, it's just the green is too bright. They did it for the Pursuit of Cobra, Rise of Cobra. Yeah, and the base Rise figure doesn't really do him any justice whatsoever. It's too bright, but... It's another yeah. case of, like, Falcon. <laughs> it's just horrible, horrible parts use. So, my favorite one is also from the Night Force, and that would be Sneak Peek. I love this figure. And he's such a huge improvement from the original. Like, they really did a really good job with him. I mean, his original coloring is all gray and red and looks completely inappropriate for night missions. We're sort of sneaking around, listening to people for weeks on end, being, you know, the ultimate voyeur. <laughs> but his his new coloring is just awesome. It just works so well. And, yeah, he's one of my favorite sort of old figures. And apparently he's the figure that's worth the most in my collection as well. Oh, wow. Yep. I mean, he came with a lot of small parts, and being a Night Force figure, that's already a layer of exclusivity. But then to have one with his belt hook still intact, and his helmet microphone present, it becomes difficult to get a complete one online. It's not impossible, and certainly not quite as pricey as getting a Shockwave. Well, now, but I mean, five years ago, I mean, he was worth more. True story. Five years ago, I bought myself the Night Force Shockwave, and I bought Rob the Night Force Sneak Peek, and Sneak Peek cost $70 to Shockwave 50. You topped out a bit higher than me there, buddy. Well, for me, it's in the Sky Patrol. I've still got him, actually, a static line. I saw it. It stood out from the other Joes. I grabbed it, um, realized it was Sky Patrol, and Sky Patrol was different and everything. He has a cool um, sort of waist-mounted weapon um, that you clip to his waist. It looks a bit like a moon. (laughs) (laughs) He's got two little machine guns in, and you could put his pistol into it, into the middle section. I always thought it was cool, because if you think about it, I mean, like, he parachutes in, so it makes a lot of sense to have his weapon sort of waist-mounted. And he's not the only one. I think one of the other guys has it. I think it's Drop Zone. Also, has like a bit of a waist-mounted weapon uh, that goes on him as they like sort of paratroop into dangerous territory. And I always thought that was very cool. A kind of a precursor to Heavy Duty's massive gun. But, yeah, a lot more sort of aerodynamic, so to speak. But very cool. I actually started adopting it into some kind of hovering platform that he would hold on to, and it would be like a anti-gravity platform. Cool helmet, uh, the parachute, a lot of fun out of. On Yojo, I seem to have found a variant because my static line didn't have a white parachute case. Mine had a blue parachute case, unless I'm remembering it wrong. But I don't remember having a white parachute case for mine. Your static line was actually released not as part of the Sky Patrol subset, but rather as part of the 1991 G.I. Joe collection. Because it, it got absorbed into the sort of European uh, and therefore South African single-carded G.I. Joe figure collection. That's right. So It wasn't uh, on a specific Sky Patrol card back, as I recall. No, you're right. It, um, it Actually, no, it did have a little label on it that said Sky Patrol. Oh, but it, wow. But it wasn't necessarily, like you said, it wasn't released. Oh. Like, none of the other figures were really available online except for him. And Skydive, I actually got from a friend. A friend of mine gave me that. Uh, and he got it from Canada, I think. But my favorite would be, yeah, would be Static Line from the Sky Patrol. I think he's a very cool figure. Just, Wasn't he like a demolitions expert on the team? I think that's what his job is. I must be honest, I'm, I never really got into too much... Functionaries of the team, because we never were able to collect the entire team, as I recall. I must say, I've got a burn on to get those figures now. Mm. Oh, yes. I wouldn't mind trying to get another one, but my one is still intact. The O-ring is still good. Don't have any of his gear, but whatever. (laughs) His Sky Patrol's emblem is still minty mint, as I recall. Yes, still in good condition. And that was a nice touch. 
It's not something the Night Force figures had on their uniforms. It's not something that the Marauders had. It's not something that the Tiger Force had yeah. or the Python Patrol. But the Sky Force had their own emblem, and each one of the figures had it on their body somewhere. Mm, they really pulled out the stops for it. Hey? Mm, agreed. All and the, the vehicles also had that same emblem repeated. Mm. It would be cool to see a 30th re-release of these guys with great sculpts. The only problem is that they're going to struggle, I think, because they would most likely release them all with a skydive body from the new line. Mm. And they're more uniform with different heads, well, which kind of defeats the object, but yeah. They've got a drop zone in the shape of Stradiviper, and they've got an airborne in the shape of a lift ticket. So you've got some of the figures in place already, and they've got um, altitude in the form of slipstream. Yes. So it'd be a case of just filling in the blanks and, and part swapping and kind of frank enjoying to get airwave, skydive, and static line. That's possible. can happen. No doubt. Or they could just give us a motor viper, gyro viper, and a backstop. Please. <laughs> a Canadian Joe kind of produced a backstop, I believe, in 25th anniversary style. Have you guys checked? Things they called magnet clips. No, what are those? That's waist clips with magnets on them, and you can pose for GI Joes or whatever action figure uh, in like mid-air poses and whatever. They're quite cool. What? Mm. Stick them to your fridge? Well, if you wanted to. Otherwise, you can get a metal surface. You can also buy. I think they have a metal surface you can also buy. <laughs> wow, at exorbitant prices, no less, and all it is is just a strip of metal. My like goodness. Ten or a pack of uh, a medium pack is $9, but that's for the clips, not for the metal thing. <laughs> but, I mean, it's not that difficult to find a metal sheet to put in your display cabinet. Yeah. Uh, any, any reasonably industrious person could make something like that just as easy. But I'm being, uh, you know, sour grapes because someone else thought it up before me. <laughs> Speaking of, don't forget my stance. <laughs> Oh, jeez, oh, yes. you're not going to let that one go. Listeners, we promised to give Paul our battle stands because Rob and I believe that we'll never need them. It's true. We even think when we're really old, we'll still be able to stand our figures really well. Yeah. Once you've got the glow, it will never go. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I had a, an interesting thought when I was pondering that beauty that is the Night Boomer, mm. a.k.a. the Black Sky Striker. And I thought to myself, well, before G.I. Joe got their hands on a workable Night Raven, they probably, just like the Yanks used at their Top Gun schools, took a couple Sky Strikers, painted them black with red accents, mm. and had their Sky Strikers dogfight these guys. What do you think of that? Like a training mission thing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you do it up in Night Raven colors. Sure, it won't handle like a Night Raven, but the fact that it's a Sky Striker in black with red accents, and that just screams Night Raven. I mean, yeah. red, red and black go really well together, and that's why the Night Force vehicles all have black with red accents. Mm-hmm. But on the Sky Striker, it does have that um, correlation. Yeah, but I mean, we kind of really disproved that in our episode where, I mean, the way that they would fight is completely different, I think. Well, Their abilities know, are very... That's, be, that's because Paul's arguing for the Night Raven. I think I might have tried a different tactic had I had to promote the Night Raven. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe we have to return to that in a future episode. Yeah, Just sure. rehash the, that argument. The Night Raven's a dogfighter. What are you talking about? That they can turn circles around the Sky Striker, please. Yeah, just keep telling yourself that. If they can Pythonize conquests, then let's just say that the Night Boomer has been Night Forcenized. 
regardless of whether or not painting it black makes it more effective at its job or not, it's a beautiful reuse of the Sky Striker mold. Mm. Something that I will always have a soft spot for. And you know what? If they did that with the 30th anniversary Sky Strikers, I'd buy one. Oh, yeah. I've kind of got my quota of Sky Strikers, but uh, there's always room for one more if it's molded in black. I can't dispute that. I have that problem, too. Not with Sky Strikers, with everything, actually. (laughs) Slap a new decal on it and pull by. (laughs) My word, this is amazing. (laughs) Right, folks. Shall we call it a night? I think we should call it a night. Thank you, listeners, for bearing with us during our hiatus, during my frequent trips out of the country, during Rob's frequent hangovers, (laughs) during Paul's burning the candle at both ends, trying to get his uh, toxic bunny out there. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's been been awesome, but we've missed you too, listeners. Mm. Please don't desert us. We'll be back. Just a bit of a shout-out. <laughs> and more regular than ever. <laughs> just like diarrhea. Okay. <laughs> okay, that just came out. <laughs> That's late. Um, just a shout-out to... It's JD, right? Yeah, JD. Yeah. The guy who came up with this topic. Thank you very much, man. It's been interesting yeah, well, the, pouring over the, these toys. Yeah, the germ of the topic. The idea that boosted the, us into this. Word. No, but please spam us. We love it. Um, yeah. It's motivation to go on. Uh, or sometimes we struggle to find topics. Uh, listener support is always appreciated. Absolutely. If there's anything you would like the team from GI Joeberg to discuss on air, please let us know. Yeah, Joe related. Or not Joe related. Really? We'll, f- we'll find a way to bring it back to GI Joe. Huh. Because uh, I don't know about you guys. That but sounds like G.I. a challenge. GI Joe occupies so much of my mind. It does occupy a lot of your mind. A day without Joe is like a day without sunshine. <laughs> really cool. <laughs> Before we go, I have to mention this. Oh. In Borderlands 2, there's a character that looks like Snake Eyes. He's a ninja, but you can uh, choose different heads, and one of the heads is Snake Eyes' head. Very cool. What was the name of that game again? Borderlands 2. Borderlands 2. It's out now. It just came out recently. And another cool thing is one of the color schemes, um, aside from the Ninja Turtles color scheme they got and the Battletoads color scheme they got, they've got a... Eyes of the Snake color scheme as well. Mm. So I thought that was pretty cool. So there's clearly some Joe fans in Borderlands. Ojo de Serpente. Yo, Joe, fellas. Yo, Joe. Yo, Joe. Yo, Joe. Yo, Joe. Yo, Joe. Goodbye.